All of us occasionally struggle with negative or overwhelming emotional reactions, but few of us have been taught how we can transform our experience of difficult feelings. In this episode, Dr. Bethy Campbell returns to the Change Academy to share techniques for working with our most challenging emotions, enabling us to handle stressful situations with greater resilience and to access healthier emotional responses. All right. All right, everyone, take your seats or lace up your sneaks. We're about to get started. Welcome to the Change Academy podcast. I'm your host, Monica Reinagel, and in this show, we talk about what it takes to create healthier mindsets and habits in our own lives, as well as how we can create healthier communities and workplaces. Whether you're working on your own health and well-being or promoting healthy behaviors is your job, we're going to talk about what works, what's hard, what's needed, and what's next. Let's jump in. I have a treat for you today. Dr. Bethy Campbell is back on the podcast. I know how much you all appreciated the episode that we did together a few weeks back on navigating a career or a life pivot. And I'm excited to share more of Bethy's warm and wise counsel with Change Academy listeners. And today, we are going straight to the heart of things, the negative emotions that sometimes threaten to overwhelm us and derail our progress toward the changes and the life that we're trying to create. This is a territory, quite frankly, that many of us avoid because we simply lack the skills that we need to navigate these choppy waters. And today we are in very good hands. For those who may have missed our earlier episode, let me just reintroduce Dr. Bethy Campbell. She's a clinical psychologist a marriage and family therapist with special expertise and certification in career development counseling. And during her academic career, she also pioneered a curriculum on helping skills, basically a process that people who are not trained therapists can safely use to support others or to help themselves when they're dealing with psychological or emotional challenges. And today's conversation zooms in on a specific part of her approach. I promise we will circle back in the future to explore the larger context into which this piece fits. But I think that what we're talking about here is so crucial and so important that I didn't want to wait to get this part of the conversation to you. So without further delay, welcome back to the podcast, Bethy. Thank you. Glad to be here. So whenever we are facing a challenge or someone we love is facing a challenge, there are a few ways that we can approach that situation. We can focus our attention and our problem-solving efforts on our thoughts about the situation or on the actions that we are taking or want to take. And I think both of those are completely valid and ones that we've talked about a lot on the podcast in previous episodes. But there's another path that we haven't explored quite as much, and that is to focus on the feelings that we are having about a situation. And I think the reason this is important is because those feelings can be the source of a lot of distress and relieving some of that distress that could in and of itself allow us to take steps to deal with the thoughts and with the actions. And the other reason I think this is important is because our emotions, if we are not recognizing them and dealing with them skillfully, 
they can sometimes lead to behaviors that aren't terribly helpful. And I'm thinking of things like lashing out at a family member or a coworker, or even indulging in behaviors that cause us harm, self-harm. So in your work, Bethy, you talk about emotions as having a specific function or purpose. And that's, I don't know if we often think about that, but can you, can you say more about that? What is the function of our emotions? I, I think this is, is so important. Like you said, we, we talk so much about changing behaviors and changing thoughts. Um, and so kind of indirectly addressing emotions. And yet we have this incredible ability to make change in our lives if we recognize the value that emotions hold. And they do in that they are our body's signaling system, telling our bodies, telling ourselves exactly what we need. So similar to other signals that our body gives us. So, you know, our our tummies grumble when we're hungry or we get goosebumps when we're cold. Mm. Similarly, our emotions tell us what we need, like like when we're scared. It's a signal to us that our body is perceiving a threat and wants us to protect ourselves. There's mm-hmm. so much information that can be gleaned there if we learn how to tune in to the signaling system. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard anybody state it that way. Maybe that's you know, Durger in your neck of the woods, but I've never really <laughs> thought about emotions or feeling states having an important function in our in our functioning. So what else do we need to understand about our feelings? Yeah, I, I so agree. I, I don't think that we're, we are taught this, how to recognize the value that emotions hold. I certainly, for so much of my life, felt like, you know, emotions, especially negative ones, were so uncomfortable. And so mm-hmm. I would just try to overcome them, suppress them, mm-hmm. block them. Yeah. And that's how I dealt with it. When when I learned about the value that they have and started to appreciate them, it was such a game changer for me. And now I see it as I share it with clients. It's a game changer for them too. We need to know and understand this and see that there is another way that we can address our challenges. In order to do that, yeah, we have to understand the signaling system and be able to recognize it. Part of that is recognizing that feelings are not thoughts. We cannot treat feelings like thoughts in that with thoughts, we can look at and say, okay, I'm thinking this. Is this a rational mm-hmm. thought? Is this true? So, yes, uh, you know, um, I'm terrible at everything. Well, what are the facts? Does the evidence support that? No. And then we can swap and say, I'm good at some things. We try to apply that same thing to emotions, but emotions are not logical. They're not rational. We can't just say, okay, I'm feeling scared. There's no threat coming. So just stop feeling scared. Mm -hmm. Believe me, I've Mm -hmm. attempted that and it doesn't work. (laughs) Basically, they're, they're, they're not rational. They're just a signal that's occurring. And it's our job even though they don't make immediate sense, we need to understand why they're there. Similarly with, you know, like with goosebumps, goosebumps sometimes are, are telling us that, that we're cold, but we don't respond when, when it's not cold. We don't say, stop, stop producing goosebumps. Instead, we, we ask that question, what else might be causing this? 
Am I getting sick? Mm. Am I listening to really amazing music that's giving me the chills? And that's how we can approach feelings too, is even if there's not an actual threat when we're, we're feeling scared, we can ask, what is this trying to tell me? What signal is it trying to, to give me? And it's telling me something isn't sitting right. This is worth further exploration. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, they're kind of there to get our attention. And then they invite us to bring our other faculties to bear, right? Absolutely. Like our cognitive skills and our action-taking skills. But first, right, sometimes somebody needs to send up a signal flare. I think maybe one of the reasons that uh, we often have complicated relationships with our feelings is because we can judge those feelings as being good or bad or inappropriate or or, or something. And, and I've heard you say that feelings are, it's a judgment-free zone. They are what they are. They are not good or bad. There it is. Yes. In order for us to recognize the signaling system, we have to recognize that they're not good or bad. We talk about emotions as positive or negative. And in that, we're referring to positive being pleasant emotions mm-hmm. that feel good um, and negative being ones that are more uncomfortable or unpleasant. That doesn't mean, though, that ones are good and bad. They All of them just are. It's part of the human experience. And that's different. Experience is different than expression. And this is where the moral piece comes into it. All of our emotions are simply signals, even really intense ones, like, like rage. Mm-hmm. That's just a signal that, that is part of being human. What we do with that, the expression of it, that's where we want to talk about uh, good and bad or healthy and unhealthy. Uh, so similarly as, you know, once again with goosebumps, getting goosebumps when we're cold, that's a signal and that's not good or bad. But then what we do with that, that doesn't give us moral license to go around and, you know, steal everyone's coats or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> similarly, if we felt an intense emotion like rage, that's not good or bad. It also doesn't give us moral license then to lash out at everybody. I think that's such an, an important distinction that our experience of a feeling state is distinct from how we then respond, how we express that feeling. And that's where we can, if I understood, right, that's where we can exercise maybe some judgment about how do I want to express this or what is what is helpful, what is unhelpful right. in the way I'm going to express this. It's subtle, but it's really important. So our emotions, our feelings, they have really important information to convey to us. So we don't want to be ignoring them or, like you said, suppressing them, trying not to feel them. But at the same time, as you've been, some of the examples that you're giving, emotions can be sort of tricky or hard to understand, maybe even misleading. And when we've talked about this, preparing for this conversation, you made another really interesting distinction between primary and secondary emotions. And when you first said that, I thought you were talking about those feeling wheels that we sometimes see where there are a handful of core emotions and then outside there are lots of shades and flavors of those. That's what I thought you meant by primary and secondary emotions. You were actually talking about something very different. So can you 
fill the listeners, bring the listeners up to speed on this primary, secondary emotion thing. Side note, I think those feelings wheels are great in in, uh, giving us um, language to talk about feelings. So uh, no shade against them. Uh, I highly recommend. (laughs) That said, with these primary and secondary emotions, we each have our very own and they're situation specific. So our signaling systems, uh, our emotional signaling systems are very complex. It's it's rare that in response to an event, will we have just one singular emotion. It's more typical that we have several different emotional responses. We'll talk about how you know part of us feels this way and part of us feels that way. So if we have an upcoming event, um, maybe we're excited for it. We also might be nervous. We might be feeling disappointed that certain you know people won't be there and on and on. Mm-hmm. And in addition, these emotions tend to be layered like an onion, where closer to the core of the onion, these are where our primary emotions exist. So primary emotions are more is- instinctual responses. They're just kind of our knee-jerk reactions to an event. And sometimes these can be um, not very flattering feelings, oh. <laughs> ones that we're not very comfortable with, maybe not be uh, socially acceptable reactions. So then the secondary emotions, these are the layers that are closer to the surface. So they serve as a way to protect the primary emotions. And they may also be reactions to the primary emotions. So they're ones that are prettier feelings, ones that we don't mind as much, people knowing we're feeling. Hmm. They are still genuine reactions, but they're ones we're more comfortable sitting with and we're more comfortable with showing other people. So I think a good example of this is if you have a family member who passes away, that oftentimes comes with a lot of different feelings. And especially if you're having a reaction that is not what people expect. So let's say someone passes away and your primary emotions are that you're feeling relief and maybe gratitude that the person is no longer suffering. That might be those primary emotions and they might be kind of uncomfortable to sit with. So the secondary emotions then might be you might be feeling grief, but also much more comfortable showing other people that you're feeling grief. Mm. Other secondary reactions might be that you might be feeling angry, that no one seems to understand what you're actually uh, feeling deep inside. And you might also be feeling judgment about feeling relieved. So maybe feelings of, of shame or embarrassment might come up as additional ones. And these are all layered on top of the primary feelings as a protection mechanism. Well, yikes. I mean, that's a lot to try to unpack when we are, you know, in the grips of feelings to try to sort through what are my feelings? What are my feelings about my feelings? What are the feelings I'm comfortable letting other people see or that I think they will find acceptable? That's, yeah, as you say, it's very layered. I can see that there's a lot of information embedded in all of that, but I can also see that there's a certain amount of of skill and practice involved in 
making use of that information. And I feel like that's a skill set that we, as you said, we're, we're not always taught. We don't have a lot of good role models or experience doing that. So it's a real, it's a real weak spot, I guess, in our, in our capacity to respond to what's going on in our lives skillfully. So I'm glad we're having this conversation. And obviously it wouldn't take the place of a more sustained exploration of these topics, you know, with a therapist, like some of your clients do with you, but I still think it's really valuable just to map the territory a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. So I can't remember how many times I've been told that you can't, we can't control how we feel, that we have no control over our feelings. And some of what you've said seems to reinforce that we don't choose our feelings and we can't control which ones we're going to have. So when we talk about this avenue of approaching a challenge, we can work with our feelings. You've said it's not so much about changing how we feel because we can't do that. It's more about, well, the, the phrase that you've used is unblocking our emotions. So what does that mean? Here is the key is to work on unblocking, which means that we need to stop fighting with our feelings. Mm -hmm. If a signal is going off, just pushing it away and saying, I'm afraid of it. I'm uncomfortable. I, I don't want to feel this. Just pushing it away doesn't make it go away. The signal will keep going off hmm. and then it gets blocked and stuck. And as much as we think that we uh, are, are running from it, we're not. We're stuck in it. What happens when feelings get stuck? Does that? I'm guessing that that creates some sort of other problem. It certainly does. Yeah. I mean, we just stay in that space. You know, when people talk about feeling like they're drowning or feeling overwhelmed by mm. their emotion, that says to me, they're stuck. They just, that signal is just going off over and over and over again. Mm. And they, and they think, if I just keep resisting, that will protect me when it's actually the exact opposite to get unblocked. Yeah, that's so ironic. I think sometimes when we are unwilling to feel a feeling, there's a, a sense that like, I can't survive this feeling. It's so big that if I allow myself to feel it, it will disable me. I'll be disabled. Right. And yet by pushing it away, because we don't feel like we have the capacity to feel that big a feeling, it, it magnifies it, if I'm understanding you correctly. Well said. Absolutely. And it's it's not like, you know, we we often keep trying to approach it as if it was an action or a thought. Mm -hmm. It's not like we can just willfully swap out an emotion. And, and I want to say um, all of these are really hard. All of them are, <laughs> as we know, you know, mm -hmm. uh, being part of the Change Academy, that that it's it's difficult to make change. It sounds easy to just swap out an action, but as we know, mm -hmm. changing behaviors takes a lot of practice. It's mm -hmm. hard. Mm -hmm. Thoughts too, changing our mindset from negative thinking to positive thinking, that, that takes work and practice to get good at. Emotions are the exact same in that way of that it takes practice and a lot of courage to recognize our feelings and to get them unblocked. It's not just a quick, easy process. Well, thank you very much for bringing that back to our purpose here in the Change Academy, which is to work towards a life that is more satisfying, more functional. So this isn't really 
so this this investigation of of emotions and how we experience them and how we express them isn't just navel gazing. There's uh, there's a purpose to this. This is one of the tools and skills that we can use to create the sorts of changes that we want to create in our lives. So thank you for that practical <laughs> grounding and why this is worth working on and and figuring out. And and again, if the if we wanted to look at this as a three-legged stool, and in a future episode, we will talk about the sort of three-part approach that you take towards tackling problems. We've already kind of forecasted a little bit that there are these three avenues, thoughts, behaviors, feelings. Once again, I feel like thoughts and actions have gotten all the airtime and feelings have not really gotten enough attention. So thank you for helping me address that, that um, deficiency. But let's talk a little bit more hands-on about how one actually goes through this process of experiencing our feelings in a more functional way. How do we do it? So we've got to feel our feelings. So it's it's not just that simple cognitive exercise of just saying, oh, I'm having a feeling and then just going straight into our heads or straight into our actions. If we want to try this out as a change mechanism, it means becoming fully aware of our emotions, recognizing when we're having an emotional experience and taking a moment to allow those feelings to come into our experience and actually feel them. So what tells you when you're having an emotional experience or or what what signals to you that somebody you're working with is in the grips of an emotional experience? Are you looking for certain physical sense? Are we looking for sensations? Are you looking for cues or clues? How do we know that we're in the grips of a strong emotion? And that sounds like such an obvious question, but I think sometimes we struggle a little bit. We're, we're the last to know. I love that question because yes, that's exactly where we need to start. This is so individualized for each person. People experience emotional signals, but all sorts of bodily sig signals. I mean, just like the experience of being hungry is experienced by people in many different ways, sometimes mm -hmm. in their stomachs, maybe their heads hurt, head hurts, or they feel foggy. Similarly, emotions are experienced through different physical sensations. Some people feel a tightness in their chest or a burning feeling in their stomach. Like, so it is exactly what you said of really looking for certain physical sensations and starting to decode what does that mean for me? What can be really helpful is just noticing I, I'm having some sort of, um, my, my body's signaling something, I'm having some sort of, of experience, and then labeling that, giving it a name. So hungry, cold, or an emotion word. And this is another spot where it gets tricky because a lot of times we will try to label it with a thought. If you say, I'm feeling like I have too much to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's not that's not a feeling, that's a thought. So we want to pick one word that's an emotion. And this is where that feelings wheel uh, can become really helpful if you need some language or you need some ideas about what word we might use. But things like sad, angry, scared, ashamed, disappointed, like picking one of those words, avoiding pushing it away or labeling it as bad. I shouldn't be feeling that. There's no reason I should feel like that. No, just saying I'm feeling this and, and welcoming it, staying present with it. And then, so after labeling, 
Then giving it a number. This is a way just to continue to allow the emotion to be there and to better understand the intensity with which we're feeling it. So if we were to rate the intensity on a one to 10 scale, one being feeling very little of the emotion to 10 being the most intense we've ever felt, then we can, we can better validate, okay, this is my experience. If we were to do only those two things, most of the time that peels the layer of the onion. A lot of our emotional signals are not really needing this deep level processing. It just wants to be heard and acknowledged. And that alone is enough for a secondary emotion to then just fade away. So Dan Siegel uh, says, name it to tame it. And it, it sums up the research around this, that simply labeling an emotion, giving it an emotion word, we find that the intensity that you're feeling that emotion tends to go down. Mm -hmm. Then if you give it a number, labeling and being aware of the intensity that it's experienced, the intensity then goes down a second time. That's, that is wild to me that that is all the acknowledgement that it takes with many of our emotional reactions for them to subside. That is such a powerful thing. And, and yet I think it would be a big challenge for any of us to go through the next week and do those two things to actually stop and apply an emotion word to a feeling that we're having. Cause I've, you're exactly right. We will tend to come up with things that are not emotions at all, but thoughts about the emotion. So if you're doing this for those playing along at home, be alert <laughs> for that tendency, that temptation to, to pile a lot of interpretation on and really see if you can limit yourself to just the emotion and, and then the intensity. And it's amazing just how powerful that can be. And we haven't taken any action. This is really just about internal awareness and what it makes possible. And I just exactly. want to underline like how powerful that is. Absolutely. And so then you'll know that it's working when what 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 will happen is is when those um, layers of the onion start to peel, mm -hmm. a new emotion emerges. That's when you know that the emotion or the signal has subsided is now you're starting to feel a new emotion. So as we're working with this, we want to be looking for and allowing new emotions to emerge and then simply repeat that process. Mm -hmm. We want to be also asking the question. So, you know, we, we'll likely have some, you know, what we might consider irrational, unreasonable, inappropriate emotions mm -hmm. emerge. And we want to just say, that's okay. It's, it's welcome here and ask the question, what might this emotion, what might this signal be trying to tell me? I find that activities like regular journaling, creative expression, talking to someone can be really helpful in this process. Of course, as a therapist, I definitely recommend therapy for this process and particularly for people if they find that trauma experiences emerge through this process. Absolutely, therapy can be really helpful to provide a safe space to do this work. Absolutely. And and those are resources that everyone should take advantage of uh, when they need them and, and if they can. But I also just want to also add a plus one for 
journaling and creative expression that, you know, a lot can happen when we put pen to paper and, and approach this. What I heard, the subtext of this whole process really is curiosity. Like I can almost imagine discovering emotions, surprising emotions. Like if I allowed myself to be really non-judgmentally curious as I start to peel that onion, it could be kind of entertaining to see what different kinds of feelings I might uncover and just using that little bit of distance that we can get when we are journaling or writing or applying labels, rating intensity gives us just that little bit of objectivity. But I'm also hearing a lot of curiosity in this. And I would imagine that like all of the things that we talk about on this podcast and the tools that we offer and the strategies and the practices that practice, that's the word, right? That the more often we do this, the better we get at it. And that we might feel really inept the first few times we do it. Um, and that doesn't mean we can't do it or or don't have the the capacity to do it. It's just, it's a new thing and we have to practice it to become more familiar and comfortable with it. Absolutely. This to me, I, I mentioned this was really a game changer for me to understand. And I just want to underline that point that um, for those that this resonates with, maybe um, a thought-based approach or action-based approach just really doesn't speak their language. This can have a powerful impact in our lives. For me, I, I've been someone that uh, has dealt with anxiety my whole life and spent a lot of time you know, doing thought-based techniques and action-based techniques to suppress it. And that worked okay. But learning these techniques has been so life-changing, basically befriending the anxiety and not mm. pushing it away. I was someone who 20 years ago, speaking in front of people would have been incredibly difficult. And a large part of my career has been now public speaking. Do I get scared? Yes, I still get scared. And now befriending that anxiety, working through it and finding the layers built within that, I know that I care deeply and there's a deep passion and excitement and enthusiasm that comes along with those fears that I've been able to channel into a, an amazing, wonderful career. So um, I think that for those who speak emotion language and like to do emotion-based problem solving, they too can find incredible healing and make big changes in their lives um, by working with their emotions rather than against them. And we don't have to choose between these yeah. techniques. We can have them all in our toolkit. And you know, some are going to be more helpful in different circumstances. So I I think that this is something that even those of us who don't feel like we speak, uh, what did you say? We speak the language of emotions or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, even if uh, if we are people who feel like, yeah, my cognitive skills are kind of my, that's what I lead with. I feel like we all benefit by strengthening this tool. And you've shared with us, and, I, and I'm really eager to share this with listeners. Um, we got an old school lab experiment for listeners this week, thanks to Dr. Bethy. And, uh, and so I'm going to give it to you now. And I want to just say that this exercise is adapted from your workbook slash textbook called Helping Skills Training for Non-Professional Counselors. This was something that you published in your academic as part of your academic career 
to accompany coursework that you did on everything that we've been talking about and so much more. Um, and I'll put a link to that in the in the show notes if anybody wants to explore that further. But you've graciously shared with us a little lab experiment that I think will help people put some of what we've been talking about today into action. So let me just read this here, and then I'll ask if there's anything that you want to add to those instructions for the readers. So this exercise will help you consider how primary and secondary emotions and emotional signals apply to your own life. So step one, can you think of a time when secondary emotions clouded your awareness and expression of your primary emotions? Write down your recollections of that time and highlight primary and secondary emotions. Step two, what do you believe your emotions were signaling to you? What were they motivating you to do? And then finally, consider how might talking or writing about these feelings help you access those primary emotions and the most adaptive expression of them? Anything that you might want to add for our listeners who did not get the benefit of the entire course that this was embedded in? Uh, that was great. I, I think um, just in case it's helpful for the listeners, I'll, I'll give you an example of how this plays out. So um, a time when secondary emotions clouded my awareness. I remember a time when I was feeling uh, angry with my partner for not reading my mind. Um, <laughs> how, how dare he not uh, know exactly what I was hoping that he would do and say. Then I, I felt the secondary emotion of shame because that's an unreasonable thing to um, request of him. And so um tried to block off those feelings. And as we know, then the signals persisted where now I felt both angry and ashamed for uh, feeling angry. So um, rather than blocking those, I validated that those were um, were there and real for me and validated, yes, they were attached to an unreal, reasonable expectation and allowed myself to feel ashamed about that and then allowed myself to feel angry. And as I did that, I realized the anger was trying to tell me I wanted to feel heard and seen and known, which then emerged other feelings of just feeling lonely and disconnected. And that was a wonderful insight because then I I realized, oh, my body's telling me, please seek connection. Mm. So rather than just sitting with the unreasonable reading of my mind, um, I was able to see, oh, no, it, my body's just asking me to reach out. But had I not gone through the anger, I wouldn't have come to that conclusion. So then that led to a great conversation and felt much more connected. Yes, I can imagine how the way you expressed those feelings once you had worked through that was a lot different than the way you might have expressed <laughs> just the anger or the disappointment or or any of that. That's a beautiful example. And thank you for for sharing that. And um, we will look forward to continuing this conversation in a future episode, which I promise will not be too long from now. We'll kind of put what we've been talking about today into that larger context and the framework that you have developed for, for these helping skills, which I think everyone is going to find enormously helpful. I know I have already. So thank you as always, Dr. Bethy. And if you have 
you listeners have questions or responses to our conversation today, um, make sure that you let us know because we will have an opportunity to pick up those threads in future conversations. And of course, I will I will pass those all along to, to Bethy. But thanks again, Bethy, and we'll see you again real soon. Sounds great. Thank you, Monica. All right. Thanks, everyone. This has been the Change Academy podcast with Monica Reinagle. Our show is produced by me, Brock Armstrong. You'll find links to everything Monica mentioned in today's episode in our show notes, as well as on our website at changeacademypodcast.com, where you can also send us an email or leave us a voicemail. If you're finding this podcast helpful, we hope you'll subscribe or even better, give our show a rating or review in your favorite podcast app. Or, best of all, share this episode with a friend or colleague you think would enjoy it. Now here's to the changes we choose.